I started my career in market research, running focus groups. I was after consumer insights so we could find and build new products and services. Then I moved into the world of leadership training and self-growth and personal growth. So now I was after personal insights. Who am I? What are my values? What's my mission? What's my vision? But perhaps insight is not enough. Perhaps we also need outside. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Now, this episode is going to be perfect for anyone in the world of learning and development and self-growth. My guest today has been doing L&D at some of the most interesting companies in the world, Google and Pinterest, and most recently as the Director of Talent Development at Intuit. But Joel Constable found his way into the space by accident. I didn't even know that the, the, the field of corporate leadership development existed. So I, I called them up and I said, hey, I have a free summer. Can I come intern or do some work for free? And they said, yeah, and we'll actually pay you a little bit. And so I spent the summer there and that was my first exposure to the world of, of leadership development. So that company was actually founded by my friend Susan Scott based on her excellent book, Fierce Conversations. From there for Joel, grad school, and then a job at Google. And from Google, which of course is a big company with lots of resources, to a small company looking to scale, Pinterest. That helped him get clear on where his best work was. Actually, what drew me to Intuit was um, somewhat similar to the opportunity at Pinterest. Intuit wanted to reimagine leadership development from the ground up, and they had and have an aspiration to build the world's best leaders and be known for it. And so I was really interested in, in that. It felt actually kind of similar to the Pinterest opportunity, but with some of the, the things that a bigger company affords, like the, those headcount and resources. Now, Intuit's really known to be cutting edge in this space. So how are they thinking about leadership and about development? We think about leadership in the context of three high-level capabilities, uh, lead with a clear vision, build a high-performance culture, and drive winning results. Underneath each of the three of those, we have three behaviors that, that roll up to that. Um, uh, we feel like that, that playbook kind of captures the, the essence of most of what is expected of a leader, but also some of it. Uh, we wanted to make sure was really unique to Intuit and the culture that we have. And, and one example of that is we really pride ourselves on customer obsession, design thinking, really being focused um, on solving customer problems. And so the very first behavior under lead with a clear vision is stay focused on the customer problem. Make sure we're always um, solving a problem. We're not just in our own world building things that we think would be great. I was curious to know, having moved through these different companies and these different experiences, what's changed about the way Joel thinks about leadership? Probably the biggest thing for me is um, trying to simplify everything that I do. Um, so one of the reasons I, I was really attracted to Pinterest coming from Google is Google's amazing uh, and there's so many resources and there's so many smart people and so much has been built was this opportunity to really shape everything and build everything yeah. from the ground up. And I, I think I got a little bit ahead of myself in all of the things that we can do and what would be the textbook research best practice for what we can do. And the truth is um, you got to meet people where they are. 
And it really isn't a best practice if people can't implement it, if they can't take it and use it. (laughs) And so for me, it's been taking this love I have of all of these ideas and all this research and how to simplify it um, and just make it so that people can use it. And it may not be the most extensive, comprehensive version of what I think would be, you know, fun or ideal, but uh, it just needs to be relevant and actionable for them. I love what you've been saying about designing at a level that's not overly prescriptive and overly specific, but I'm curious to know how you manage this ambiguity and uncertainty and lack of control that brings, because, you know, that's great in theory, but then when you give your precious principles and behaviors out to the people in some parts of the company, and who knows what they're doing with them? And I'm just wondering how you sit with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think some of it is going back to why are we doing this in the first place? Mm. You know, for us, this playbook is something that we believe needs to be actionable and useful to people. It's not just something we want to put on a wall. And so I think for it to feel actionable and useful, they need to be able to put it into practice. And if, uh, and if it's at such a high level that it feels like theory or it feels disconnected from their day-to-day jobs, then then they're never going to use it. And so, We've tried to be clear on, hey, this is the core playbook, like this shouldn't be changed. But if you want to take this to another level of specificity that speaks to this particular role or this uh, particular function, you know, by all means, because as long as you're uh, using it, putting into practice, becoming hopefully a better leader as a result of the guidance that it can provide, uh, that's ultimately what, what we care about. And how do you actually spark practical engagement with this stuff because I've seen so much L&D work end up in L&D graveyards all full of interesting stuff but not actually used by anybody you know this is all good well and good but I'm pretty busy and I have a real job and I just don't have time for this learning and development stuff how do you shift behavior within Intuit well that's that's the million dollar question and I love that you asked it because as we get into this book, I mean, the reason I chose this book is I have just a deep interest in the science of behavior change. Mm. And I think within leadership development, too often we spend way too much time talking about concepts and frameworks and ideas and not enough time on, well, how do people even just change their behaviors, adopt new mindsets? It's one of the reasons I love the coaching habit. Your book so much as you you get into that. Um, <laughs> Thank so you. how we thought about that, I think in a couple ways. Um, First is that we have our most senior leaders modeling and teaching this. So we, we rolled out a program yeah. beginning with our VPs that is taught by our SVPs, our EVPs, our CEO, and our executive chairman who used to be our CEO. So we have leaders that are not just saying that this is important, but actively participating, um, getting involved in, in teaching leadership. And that's a core uh, belief that we have as a company that leader part of your role as a leader is as teacher and that's how we build a culture of leadership development so that's a big one yeah. i think which is having the most senior people not only talk about it but model it right if, if people don't see it modeled mm. i think it's unlikely they're going to adopt new behaviors another thing that we're doing is we've built it into all let, of our. let me just jump in yeah I just want to repeat something that you said in that first point which people might have skipped over but i think it's so important and it's this we see the role of the leader to be a teacher. That is such a powerful reframing of what that role is, is typically positioned as. Not just hitting numbers and delivering business results, but part of what you do is to teach. I think that is such a foundational cultural attribute that can make 
all the difference. Right, right. Because it becomes about enablement and it becomes about development. And how do we, how do we create a culture of development where everyone is, is getting better? Yeah, and that. if every leader takes on that responsibility that I have a responsibility, not even just to teach, but also to learn and that we're all in this process together, it's really powerful. That's great. What was your second point? Yeah. Yeah. So the second point is that we have begun integrating it into all of our talent processes. So uh, how we hire people leaders, how we assess people leaders, uh, our executive coaching work that we do, that it's part of that onboarding. Every employee learns about it. And I, and I just think that this is really critically important. And I think this is another place that you know functions and groups like ours can fall down is when performance, performance management, talent management, and development are, are disconnected, right? Because if we yeah. go off and we keep talking about how X, Y, and Z are so important and we're developing these skills and behaviors, and then no one sees that recognized or rewarded, uh, it just, it's not usually going to last. At the end of the day, yeah. they need to be reinforcing each other, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so we've built it into and are continuing to build it into a lot of these talent processes. How do you find the ability to influence that? Because some places I see, they're like, you know what, L&D's here and they don't actually have a seat at the table, so to speak, to actually influence some of those other structural places where you want these principles to actually show up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I had a friend who leads L&D uh, learning and development at another company asked like, gosh, how did you get like the <laughs> CEO? How did you get these really senior leaders to be so involved? And I would love to say that that I had anything to do with it. I, you know, at the end of the day, the, these folks really believe in this. They believe right. there's value in it. And, and I would love to say that I, I had some part in that, but um, I, I think I'm fortunate and we're fortunate at Intuit that the leaders and starting with our CEO and our past CEO uh, just yeah. really believe in this. And they wanted to be the ones leading the way. They wanted to be the ones teaching this and modeling it to, to the rest of the company. Fantastic. What a gift that is. So you hinted about the book you've chosen. What's the book? Yeah. So this is a book called uh, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. It's by Herminia Ibarra, who is, a, a, I think, currently a professor at London Business School and was previously at Harvard and NCAD. Um, and I love this book, kind of back to our earlier conversation. I have a deep interest in the science of behavior change. I think it's under-focused on in, in the mm. context of leadership development. And uh, this is a book about leadership and behavior change. And what Herminia um, studies largely is around transitions, transitions into bigger leadership roles. Uh, she also studies um, identity. And I think that's an interesting component of leadership development. Uh, I've worked with a lot of first-time managers who are moving from the individual yeah. contributor role to the manager role. And I think identity often can play a role in that. How do I let go of how I saw myself before and how I added right. value to the organization? And when people yeah. feel too much attachment to my job and the value that I add is what I individually contribute, right? It becomes very difficult yeah. to let go of that and, and start to transition to um, empowering others. Now, I want to hear these two pages, but I just want to get into this piece around identity because I think that's another profound insight. The way I've been thinking about it, because I've been trying to write a bit about this in this new book that I'm working on, is that we're much more committed to the current state of things and the status quo than we actually realize. We've got so many anchors, so many attachments. Yes. 
How do you help people let go of their identity as they move into these different types and different roles of leadership? Because that's such a big, hard thing to do. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing, right, is like with a lot of things, it's awareness. It's actually recognizing, wow, I'm really, um, I really see myself in this way. I really see that, or I really have a belief somewhere, you know, deep inside me that like the way that I contribute to the company is through what I individually do. And, and so I think, and I think this extends right beyond leadership development um, and just Mm -hmm. having that recognition of what do we identify with? How do we see ourselves? And so having that awareness is probably the first thing. Um, I think the second thing though, or, or one tactic I would suggest, and this is a little bit of what Herminia gets at, but I think one way to shift your identity is just to consistently do the things that your new identity or the the new person that you're moving towards would be doing. So if we're to take a, an example outside of a work context, if I really want to run a marathon, but I've I've always thought of myself as I'm not a runner. Like that's just not what I do. Yeah. And maybe I haven't even been conscious of that as an identity, but it's just kind of how I talk to myself, how I think about things. Um, well, yeah. when I start to try to run, uh, and I and it starts to get hard as it inevitably will, and I start to not want to do it. It becomes very easy to default to, well, I'm not a runner. Like this just isn't my thing. Exactly. And so, how do you shift that identity? Right? It's I, I think yeah. it's through incremental small changes because uh, those small changes are what you can do consistently. Right? And yeah. once you've done that consistently enough, you start to look at yourself and be like. I've ran the last seven days. Like maybe I am a runner. Right. And I think it's it's true with leadership and other things as well. It's it's the more you do that new thing, the more that you start to identify with that new behavior or persona. Yeah. And probably the best way to consistently do something different or new is to get really laughably small as far as <laughs> the behaviors you're trying to to implement. I really like the balance you've got there between, you know, the the laughably small behaviors, which is like such a micro step that, you know, maybe like a runner would take literally and metaphorically, perhaps. Yeah. But I also think the language is really important. You know, I think about some of the companies I've been part of and have started and have invited people into these leadership roles. So like Shannon, who's the CEO at Box of Crayons, or Ainsley, who runs The Conspiracy, which is the membership part of MBS.Works. I feel that really a big part of my role as a coach and a mentor to them is just to keep reminding them that this is their role. You are the CEO. You're the head of the conspiracy. Yeah. And you can see it's not an immediate thing, but you can see people kind of stepping into those roles, kind of wrapping the cloak more tightly around them. And, you know, that's pretty cool. That's pretty inspiring. I mean, you know, Shannon's been the CEO for two years technically, but two years ago, she she was CEO in title, but not really yet embodying the role. Now, though, she's completely there. She's brilliant. I mean, honestly, I'd love to be as good a CEO as she is one day. That's I'm aspiring to grow up to be like her. Yeah. That language is such a powerful insight. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So which two pages did you pick to read and how did you come to choose them? I chose... Um two pages early on in the book when she is beginning to introduce a concept that she calls outside. And I chose these two pages because I believe there is so much packed into these two pages. Uh, I just, there's so much, the, almost the, all of the two pages is underlined for me, which is usually a, a good sign of, 
there's just, I think there's a lot of great stuff and a lot of great jumping off points. So I felt like this was a good way to introduce this concept that, that she's teaching and talking about and also can kind of go in a lot of different directions. Oh, I love that. Okay, so let me introduce you. This is Joel Constable reading Hermina Ibarra's book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Over to you, Joel. My research focuses instead on the development of a leader's identity, how people come to see and define themselves as leaders. I found that people become leaders by doing leadership work. Doing leadership work sparks two important interrelated processes, one external and one internal. The external process is about developing a reputation for leadership potential or competency. It can dramatically change how we see ourselves. The internal process concerns the evolution of our own internal motivations and self-definition. It doesn't happen in a vacuum, but rather in our relationship with others. When we act like a leader by proposing new ideas, making contributions outside our area of expertise, or connecting people and resources to a worthwhile goal, to cite just a few examples, people see us behaving as leaders and confirm as much. The social recognition and the reputation that develop over time with repeated demonstrations of leadership create conditions for what psychologists call internalizing a leadership identity, coming to see oneself as a leader and seizing more and more opportunities to behave accordingly. As a person's capacity for leadership grows, so too does the likelihood of receiving endorsement from all corners of the organization by, for example, being given a bigger job, and the cycle continues. This cycle of acting like a leader and then thinking like a leader of change from the outside in creates what I call outside, the outside principle. For Jacob and many of the other people whose stories form the basis for this book, deep-seated ways of thinking keep us from making or sticking to the behavioral adjustments necessary for leadership. How we think, what we notice, believe to be the truth, prioritize, and value directly affects what we do. In fact, inside-out thinking can actually impede change. Our mindsets are very difficult to change because changing requires experience in what we are least apt to do. Without the benefit of an outside-in approach to change, our self-conceptions and therefore our habitual patterns of thought and actions are rigidly fenced in by the past. No one pigeonholes us better than ourselves than we ourselves do. The paradox of change is that the only way to alter the way we think is by doing the very things our habitual thinking keeps us from doing. This outside principle is the core idea of this book. The principle holds that the only way to think like a leader is to first act, to plunge yourself into new projects and activities, interact with very different kinds of people, and experiment with unfamiliar ways of getting things done. Those freshly challenging experiences and their outcomes will transform the habitual actions and thoughts that currently define your limits. In times of transition and uncertainty, thinking and introspection should follow action and experimentation, not vice versa. New experiences not only change how you think, your perspective on what is important and worth doing, but also change who you become. They help you let go of old sources of self-esteem, old goals, and old habits, not just because the old ways no longer fit the situation at hand, but because you have discovered new purposes and more relevant and valuable things to do. Outside, much more than reflection, lets you shape your image of what you can do and what is worth doing. 
Who you are as a leader is not the starting point on your development journey, but rather the outcome of learning about yourself. This knowledge can only come about when you do new things and work with new and different people. You don't unearth your true self. It emerges from what you do. But we get stuck when we try to approach change the other way around from the inside out. Contrary to popular opinion, too much introspection anchors us in the past and amplifies our blinders, shielding us from discovering our leadership potential and leaving us unprepared for fundamental shifts in the situations around us. Oh, that's lovely. It's like a, a neutron star. It's like everything dense and packed in there in just two pages. You know, yeah. I've often said the body leads the brain. You have to act in a way for your brain to catch up with how you want to do it. You know, at a micro level, if you come across as confident, even if you're feeling anxious before you, you know, give a speech or whatever, you set your body into a state of, well, this is what confident looks like. And therefore, you must be confident because you look like you're confident. It's such a it's such a counterintuitive insight in some ways, but she talks about it and she does it so well. I mean, what struck a chord here for you, Joel? Yeah, well, part of what is interesting is it's just thought provoking to me because I am a big believer in introspection and reflection. Right. Um, I think there's there's a lot of power in that. I think specifically for these the context with which she's talking, which is in transitions, right? Taking on bigger roles. Mm. This does make a lot of sense to me. And, and this idea, like, like I, I love this line, the paradox of change is that the only way to alter the way we think is by doing the very <laughs> things our habitual thinking keeps us from doing. And it's just, it, I, it, yeah. it makes sense to me, right? That we get yeah, to try to introspect or reflect my way into some new behaviors, I'm just always going to be confined by what I know, by how I've thought in the past. And really the only way to change that, I can't think my way into that. I just need to try new things. Yeah. And a lot of what she gets into is the importance of experimentation and just testing out new ways of of being yourself. And she also talks, and I, I've seen her speak a little bit about authenticity also. And like, what does that mean to be authentic? Mm. Because I think People can get hung up on the idea that if I'm change if I'm changing myself, well, am I just not being true to my myself? Right, right. Because authenticity can become a commitment to be unchanged, you know, to never grow or evolve. It reminds me of uh, Whitney Johnson and her work around the S curve, particularly in personal development. And at a certain point, you just you know you climb up the S curve and then you start to plateau. And those habits and past behaviors that have served you well up to now, they stop serving you in the same way. But because they've served you well in the past, it's hard to let go of them. Well, it's, it's the old adage, right? Like what got you here won't get you there. <laughs> right. And, and the other thing that I think it's a little bit unrelated to this, but definitely plays into it. When you think about individuals becoming managers for the first time, it, they're being put into a role where they're kind of on stage. Mm. You're kind of exposed because people are looking to you. They're looking. And, and I think oftentimes people are moved from an individual contributor to a manager because they've had a track record of success. Right. So if you kind of get into the head of, of people making this transition, I've been really, really successful by doing this one thing. Now I'm in this role. I want to continue being successful. And I have a lot of people looking at me. I'm very <laughs> exposed. Right. And it's it's not realistic because it's a different skill set, right? And so if the expectation isn't set that, hey, these are 
new skills and behaviors and mindsets that are expected of you. And inevitably, you're going to fail and make mistakes right. because you can't learn anything without that process. And that's going to be okay. And you take a growth mindset with it. But if that expectation isn't set and people go into these roles thinking, I need to continue to look like I looked before, which is that I know what I'm doing, yeah. then they're going to be resistant to acknowledge when they make those mistakes, to take risks, to stretch themselves in the ways that they need to, to continue to grow. And they're going to be tempted to retreat to doing some of the same tasks that they were doing before because it's a place of certainty and success. Well, totally. And that's why people don't scale themselves as leaders because they keep going back and they end up doing the job that the, their team should be doing. <sighs> exactly. Well, yeah. let me ask you, has there been a moment where you put this insight into action for yourself where you've gone, I need to start acting like the person I want to become? Yeah, I think in my own leadership transitions, this is definitely, um, now I read this book a few years ago, so I haven't had this this kind of um, perspective necessarily my whole career. But I think as I've moved into new roles and to bigger roles, this idea of, I just need to start taking some actions. Like, I think I probably know what to do, but I'm not going to be able to think myself to the solution here. And from these actions, um, I'll learn. But I, I think implicit in this, and she may get into this later in the book, but there is this, it is a bit of a growth mindset you need to approach with yourself because, right. hey, if I'm going to experiment with these new behaviors, I need to be okay with the idea that that they're, that I'm going to stumble and it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable and it's going to be different. Um, and so I've, I think that idea of just taking action, I would say I've applied it probably more so outside of a leadership or a work context, because I, I really think it holds true as well that, you know, the best way to, to sounds so obvious, but it's like the best way to do something new, to take on a new behavior or a goal is just to start doing right. it. Right. And not to keep thinking about, and that's often the, the hardest part. Um, but that's why we get back to, I think, what, you know, what we talked about earlier is just, you got to get really small. Yeah. Right. And consistency needs to be the focus because you're, you're focusing on building habits. Right. And once you have those habits and you lay the groundwork, you can layer, you can layer on top of it, but you got to start to get the consistency first. Yeah. I mean, part of it, Joel, of course, is growth mindset. And, you know, that's reference to Carol Dweck's work. And it's a really powerful place to be. I mean, Tony, you know, it's like, I am not a fixed entity. I can continue to grow and learn and evolve and become the next best version of myself. But to do that, you often need to have a context to allow that to happen. So I'm curious to know how you help people step into a place of messy and ambiguous and error-filledness, trying to find their feet, trying to find that next place, particularly when you're in an organization where, you know, in organizations, failure isn't that well dealt with and stumbling around and trying to find your vibe and being growth mindset, that cannot be accepted that much. So how do you do that and into it? Well, we talk a lot about psychological safety, right? We talk a lot about vulnerability and having our leaders model that. And I think that's critical, right? Like, and it extends beyond stepping into new leadership roles. It extends to, to taking risks to, yeah. to reaching for big visions, right? There needs to be a tolerance for, for failure and mistakes as long as it's, uh, there's learning involved um, and it's in service right. of, of, of an agreed upon goal. And so we've, I, I think a lot of it has just been trying to set that expectation that that's part of the transition, yeah. that you're, you're, you're learning a new skill like anything else. It, but probably most importantly, I, I do think it starts at the top and it's, 
uh, what is being right. modeled, what is being recognized, what is being rewarded. And unfortunately, I think we have in general a, uh, a relatively low ego kind of leadership um, team and, and really yeah. just leadership in general. Uh, and so there's more tolerance for, for that kind of thing. It's not just about how to make sure I always look good to, to the, these folks. Um, but I'm just a big believer that if you, if it's not being modeled, if it's not being modeled at the top, it just, it, at least within an organizational setting, it doesn't have a lot of likelihood to last. Is there anything you've had to do structurally? Because before we talked about, you know, role modeling for sure, but you also need structural support in a way that's built into, you know, performance management and the like. I'm wondering if there's a way that you've seen any structural tweaks to allow for that capacity for vulnerability or small levels of failure for making mistakes. Mm, good question. I'm not sure. Um, I, the only thing that comes to mind for me is is having the the learning, the iteration. I mean, we, I had mentioned earlier, we pride ourselves on um, design thinking yeah. and we kind of have our own design thinking methodology um, is, is normalizing the idea that everything we do in both building products, but also in development is intended to be iterative and, right. and we're learning um, and, and that's okay. And, and so I think it's, it's setting that expectation and then making sure that when it comes to performance time, um, that people aren't uh, necessarily dinged for, for making those those mistakes or moving into those new roles. We also just try to be really clear about what these roles are and aren't. Um, I mean, I think that's another thing I, I think can where people can or where organizations can fall down a little bit is when people start to believe that their only path to progression is through people leadership, right? When some people... Yeah. just love being individual contributors. They love the work they do. And I think companies need to make sure that there are paths up so that I don't feel like I have to become a people leader just because um, I want to get promoted. And yeah, and I actually think, and this is true for us and probably others, if we could address that, where we had, where we knew with 100% confidence that every manager in the company really cared about being a great manager, I think that would solve most problems because to to something we yeah. talked about earlier, a lot of this comes back to motivation and prioritization, right? Like, are you going to prioritize great leadership behaviors, right? It gets, it gets to, you know, when you think about coaching, are you going to prioritize coaching? And if people um, either aren't being recognized and rewarded for those behaviors or don't feel intrinsically motivated by doing that, it's just always an uphill battle because you're trying to convince someone to do something that doesn't care about it or doesn't think it's important. And again, that's another example of over time, you're just not going to win that battle. Yeah. This has been a great conversation, Joel. Thank you. I mean, I love the window that you've opened, not just on your own philosophy, but some of the ways that Intuit is doing some really interesting stuff in terms of thinking about leadership and role modeling it and bringing in vulnerability and the growth mindset. The final question I got for you is this, and it's a big one. It's like, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between you and me? <laughs> I would, so this is what I would say, and maybe this is just a plug to what I find to be interesting and something we need to explore more. I'm, yeah, 
I'm much more interested in exploring what gets in the way of great leadership than what it takes to be a great leader. Right. Um, because I've worked with a lot of leaders. I've coached a lot of leaders. They know exactly what they're supposed to yeah. be doing. They know exactly how to have a good coaching conversation or why it's important. But I think there are so many barriers that people face and some of them are individual and there's a little bit of what we've talked about their their own mindsets, their mm. own, you know, um, ways of thinking. And some of them are, are, are organizational or system wide. They're, uh, they're not yeah. being recognized for doing these things. And I think, I think more of a focus on those and how to help people recognize their own sources of resistance, their own barriers to leadership could, could yield right. potentially greater benefits than the way that we often do it now, which is, hey, giving feedback is important. You need to set a strategic direction. That's important. It's like, okay, we've done that, but let's talk about why you're not doing that right now. What's getting in your way? How can we plan for that, right? And create mm. uh, contingency plans, right? There's a concept called mental contrasting, right? You think about your ideal state. What are all the things that are going to get in your way? Make plans for those. Frame those as an if-then statement where the if is the trigger, then the then is the action. I think more of that work where people can build self-awareness and make their own plans for how to overcome that could lead to to, to great things. Uh, I love that. I mean, it reminds me of design thinking with this insight that so often it's not what you, you're building. It's we don't need something new. We just need to make the most of what we've already got. How do we clear the path to actually get to what we already have? But that can be tricky because you know when you're building something, you go, look, I'm actually building something and I've got something to prove and it's the new shiny object. Oh, it's, it's so true. I mean, it's just, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's it, one is much is much simpler and, and can feel really good to address, and the other is much more complex, much more uh, often involves the system, the individual, and it, the, them within that system, and it's and it's hard and it requires much larger scale change. But I think until we acknowledge those and, and take steps to try to address those, there's just always a risk that we're spinning our wheels doing a lot of work that isn't actually leading to the outcomes that we want. It was Thoreau who said, simplify, simplify, simplify. And I think that's been the recurring theme of this conversation with Joel. I mean, not just at the level of designing leadership interventions, though I think you heard it there as well, but at a personal level too. That insight, it's not what needs to be added, but what needs to be removed. I love that. That's you know, and that's not a new insight. That's Michelangelo saying, I've got to chip away all the bits of marble that don't look like an angel. It's the courage to say a brave yes, and then take on the hard work to figure out what all that means in terms of no's. It's finding simplicity on the other side of complexity. Again, that's hard work. That's hacking your way through the undergrowth of complexity to get to something clear and something elegant. Your best bet to connect with Joel is probably through LinkedIn. So, you know, type in Joel Constable and you'll find him there and into it. And meantime, of course, thank you for being part of Two Pages with MBS. If you love the show, even if you kind of just like it, um, I'd certainly appreciate um, a review on your favorite podcast app. Um, And maybe you'll join us at the Duke Humphreys. You'll find that at mbs.works. It's the free membership site uh, where you'll get transcripts and unreleased episodes and much, much more. You're awesome. 
and you're doing great.